You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 343 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. This is part one of a new series I'm doing, Skills for Developers. This series might relate to Rails and it might not. Today's guest is my good friend, Aaron Kahn. On this episode, we're going to discuss finance for software engineers. Aaron Kahn is a certified financial planner at Wealth Management Strategies INC, a fully independent Pittsburgh-based registered investment advisor, where he oversees all financial planning for clients of the firm. Leveraging his BA in journalism from Indiana University Bloomington, his MBA from the Katz School of Business, and his expertise in the principles of behavioral finance, Aaron works closely with each client to help foster a lasting sense of confidence about their money. In his free time, he's a board member of Trail Pittsburgh, the Western Pennsylvania chapter of the International Mountain Bike Association, and enjoys spending time outdoors with his wife, daughter, and their two dogs, Larry and Gray. Thanks for joining me today, Aaron. Uh, thanks for having me, Brittany. I'm so excited. Me too. So, Aaron, we're going to dig into both of your origin stories, but first off, we're going to start with your tech origin story. Yeah, so uh, in 2011, I joined Snap Retail, which uh, coincides with our origin story, where we, we became friends, and I was trying to think about how we bonded. Um, I couldn't remember if it was over George or your Mini Cooper, but you know, dogs or cars, I'm always good. Um, so Snap Retail uh, is or was uh, a company that developed email marketing software for independent retailers. Um, they were in kind of the same category as like Constant Contact or MailChimp and their niche among this retail community was to um, partner with uh, specific specific manufacturers and actually have uh, like stock photos in the system. So it was just a, a simpler course of of, um, of uh, marketing for for these people. And so I joined, um, like I said, in about spring of 2011, um, and I started in a sales role, which kind of shocked me. Um, you know, I had never expected to go into sales, but. You know, this was really my first full-time job after graduating uh, in May of 2010, and you know we were in the heart of the Great Recession. Um, so you know, I, I took on this opportunity because I just thought it would be an interesting venture. Um, the big thing for me when I started was that I wanted to to be authentic. I wanted to to know how the sausage was made and and really understand what made this product a good product. And um, so. The dev team at Snap was amazing. Uh, special shout out to Matt and Ian, who I remember really pulled back the curtain for me. And you know, we didn't focus on on the nuances of the code itself. That that would have been a totally different language, pun intended. But uh, you know, learning about what made this product reliable and operate smoothly was was really key to how I communicated the value to um, you know to the end customer. So over my 18 months at Snap, uh, I, I really learned about the volatility of uh, of startups and and you know how the startup world is such a so divergent from you know worlds like like you know EY or or you know GE Healthcare you know these these multinational companies with billions of dollars um, in annual spending um, you know and relative stability for for the employees. Uh, by contrast, you know. I vividly remember, uh, you know, company-wide meetings where management would be incredibly transparent about the highs and lows of, of our revenue, of our customer base, of our VC funding, 
um, which I, I always admired. I had a lot of respect for that. And you know, as, as a business leader now, I, I adopt a lot of those principles because I feel like you know, creating a sense of, of perspective about the, the state of the company uh, fosters a lot of confidence among employees, even if times are tough. Um, so, you know, like I said, it, it really, it gave me a, a great sense of perspective about so many things. Um, and in particular, how important it is to have your personal house in order, uh, because, you know, you may lose your job with a couple hours notice and, um, you know, without having the resources available to keep your head above water, things could get, could get really messy. They really could. And I think one of the ways that we bonded is that you and I would go to these trade shows and we would spend a week on our feet and trying to sell individual subscriptions to this service. And, you know, there are funny people and there are witty people. And Aaron is one of the wittiest people I've ever met. He has uh, definitely driven some of the best belly laughs I have ever had. So, <laughs> and this is why we remain friends today. So, um, Aaron, what is your financial origin? story then? So my story is a pretty organic one and it's probably why I felt a sense of comfort uh, going into uh, into a startup for my first job rather than you know joining a, a more established organization or you know going into consulting work like so many of my friends. Um, my dad started this firm uh, in the early 90s. Uh, he was at what now is is one of the big four accounting firms and he's a, he's a CPA and so throughout my childhood, I was always, um, you know, reminded about the importance of saving and just warehousing cash. You know, every time I cut a lawn, you know, that that twenty bucks just like went right into my little safe, as opposed to you know going and buying something frivolous. Um, so you know, with with these principles at at kind of my core, um, it has always given me a, a sense of confidence and perspective about my money and and really an understanding of what my capacity is to do what I want to do. Um, so, you know, like I said, I, I was always reminded about the importance of just of saving and, and being very judicious about your spending because, you know, you work so hard to make your money and it can it can evaporate pretty quickly. Um, what's also interesting is that I have pretty expensive tastes. I'm a big car guy. I'm a pretty avid cyclist. Um, and there's nobody who's going to fund these passions but but you know myself um so that's always been a big motivator for me um you know knowing that i have a, a quality of life that i want to maintain and trying to figure out what it takes to get there without without sacrificing um you know a sense of security uh for for my family um so this you know this dogmatic environment that i grew up in um, with regards to money helped me it really helped me to form a context uh, to see to see the proverbial forest for the trees. So you know, not just to see a couple of dollars here, a couple of dollars there, but to, to really zoom out and um, have this this high level thirty thousand foot perspective about my money, about what I want to do with my money, and um, and the threats to it. So you know, now in, in my position at, at WMS. Um, my primary role and my primary objective is to to pass that perspective and that level of confidence along to clients. 
I love that. And, you know, I should full disclosure say that I am one of Aaron's clients. I've been working with him for several years. I sold a house when I moved to California for two years and I didn't know what to do with the money. And so I turned to Aaron and he has been an amazing influence to me. I definitely grew up in a culture of quantity over quality. And so I have been making huge strides to really focus on quality. And Aaron has definitely been a great inspiration for that. So Aaron, what is a day in the life for you? Uh, so after we get my daughter off to school and my wife off to work, um, the Larry and Gray and I go for our morning walk and um, then it, life is pretty unpredictable. Um, I always start the day, you know, brewing a, a fair trade single or origin coffee in my Chemex. Um, and then typically I'll have between two to five client meetings, um, all via Zoom since March. And then um, between meetings, it's it's a lot of deep work. Um, you know, I, I compose and build uh, our financial plans via our financial planning platform, eMoney, um, which is complemented with our risk assessment tool, Riskalyze. Um, we've made a big push to integrate uh, kind of the creme de la creme of fintech uh, into our organization uh, because it not only makes us a lot more efficient uh, from a compliance standpoint, uh, we're regulated by the SEC and we fully disclose everything that, that happens within our firm. Um, it really helps to have this, this have, these heavily tested results that we present to clients. Um, so I spend a lot of time analyzing those results and, and refining them to make sure that they're, they're tailored to each situation. So the reason I brought you on today is I think you can offer a lot of sound advice for developers who haven't taken the time to think over their finances. We are incredibly lucky as a profession that we are paid significantly more than other industries. And for some of us, we started in a low paying industry, went through a boot camp, and then worked our way up to being a developer. And so for someone who has just been squirreling away their money in a savings account, what is the smallest step that can be taken to make a big difference? You know that's such a good question, and, and that's such an insightful question. Um, it really you know shows how forward thinking your perspective is, Brittany. I, I really admire that. Um, and and another thing I admire about about your sector is just how how people can break in. You know, we were talking uh, earlier about how you know people can go through a dev course and they can they can switch careers. And you know when you think about uh, medicine, for example, you know if you wanted to switch careers and become a doctor, um, you stop you go to four years of medical school you go to at least three years of residency and then and then you may start in a full-paying career um i i have just always admired that about tech and i think it's it's such a, a an inclusive industry I, I really hope that uh you know it's a it's an indicator for what's to come but as far as the the best thing uh you know people can do the smallest step um open a high yield savings account uh the the most important thing is that your cash is operating as efficiently as possible. Uh, you know we're in a notoriously low interest rate environment. The the Federal Reserve has indicated that they're not going to raise interest rates for another couple of years, which um, which is is a relatively good thing. You know that's that's more or less uh, life support for an, an economy that that needs a little bit of help, and and we we need that right now. So. Um, I personally use Ally, uh, Ally Bank. I have no affiliation with them. I don't get any kickbacks. Um, my savings account gets 0.6%, and that's about indicative of um, of most of the online banks. Uh, 
you know, if, if your uh, savings is, is in a high yield savings account, uh, it's accessible, it's safe, and at least it's making as much as it could make. Uh, when I opened my savings account, I think it was a 2.2%, now it's down to 06 but that's better than some of the other banks that are offering less than 0.1%. Um, another big tip that's related to, to that high yield savings account is don't sock away too much cash at the expense of other opportunities. That's a big misnomer that uh, people run into, you know, thinking that you know the more cash I have on hand, the better. And to a degree, that's true. You know, there's a lot of, of rules of thumb as to how much cash you should have on hand, and and you know that's all related to your circumstances. But at a point, there's just you just have too much cash, and you are losing. You're really losing value to to inflation. So um, what you, you want to look at is, you know, how are you also funding your 401k? Uh, you know, are you taking what would otherwise go into into your, your 401k um, and just putting it in cash and, and, you know, kind of letting it sit there in a very inefficient position? So those are really the two, the two small steps that um, are going to have the biggest impact in the long run. That's awesome. What about developers with children? Any advice there? Oh man, so state run 529s, those are just, those are the, the best. Um, so a 529 is a college savings account. And um, there are two, there are two versions of a 529. There's a 529 investment plan, which is basically an investment account with certain parameters assigned to it that make it very beneficial if you use the money for a qualified education expense. Um, and the definition of a qualified education expense is incredibly broad. Uh, you know, it, it, it's anywhere from, you know, a graduate level degree all the way down to, um, you know, a single class at a community college. It's, it's incredibly broad. Um, the other side of a 529 is a prepaid tuition plan. Um, and these are basically plans where you prepay credits at a university. So. You're not buying it at, at a specific university like you know University of Pittsburgh or or Ohio State. Uh, rather, you're you know you have a select group of uh, of universities you can you can prepay to where where you can pay prepay tuition. Uh, these are a lot more restrictive because their express purpose is for you to to fund uh, education credits. Um, it's much more certain. So if you assume that education inflates at 6% per year, which is egregious, but realistic, uh, you're getting a guaranteed 6% return. Whereas uh, with the 529 investment plan, uh, it's invested in the market. It's uh, it's invested in um, portfolios that basically buy the entire market, which is, is a very, very sound um, investment philosophy. And it's going to go up and it's going to go down. And, but with these age-based portfolios, um, and this is what most platforms recommend you do when you go through the setup process. It, it basically says, do you want to choose a conservative, a moderate, or an aggressive age-based portfolio? So as the beneficiary gets closer to age 18, when he or she will, will start to use the money, the account automatically adjusts to make to, to reduce volatility, um, which is very, very important. Um, the you know the 529s will uh, will probably be the best choice um, for developers with with kids because it's it's a it's an incredibly inexpensive, incredibly efficient way to save for for a college. Um, the most important thing though is that you choose a state-run plan. Um, 
there are a lot of private options out there that uh, brokers will sell and they're incredibly expensive. Um, and one of the most important things when you're when you're thinking about investing is that you don't want to erode your returns with excess fees and expenses. So if you can do whatever it takes to minimize that outflow, you're going to maximize your your returns. So Pennsylvania, for example, has one of the best 529s in the country. Uh, it's operated by Vanguard, and it's just it, it's invested in a family of funds that are ultra low cost, ultra efficient, and you know they um, are organized with the intention of making sure that your child has the most amount of money available uh, when when he or she is ready for school. Um, the other piece of advice uh, I can give is that you want to be transparent with your kids. Um, obviously, depending upon their age, talk to them about what you're doing with your money. Um, discuss the successes and challenges and, and really put into perspective um, all the hard work that you put in to help facilitate the life that they enjoy. Uh, I think it, it creates a, a huge sense of gratitude and appreciation for you know what it's going to take to sustain the quality of life they're used to once they're in the working world. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails applications. I love opening it up to see a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before my end users can ever see them. With weekly digests and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building a great product by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues. Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints N plus one queries, memory bloat, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue. Give Scout a try for free today by going to scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails and you'll have the performance insights you need in less than four minutes. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Thanks to Scout APM for sponsoring the show. That's some great advice. So we have seen unprecedented growth in tech stocks, but we know how volatile they can be. As workers who live and breathe tech, should we be investing in tech? You know how, how the sausage is made, so I can't think of a, a group of people who are better suited to make an investment in a tech company. Um, the big distinction here is that you know we want to think about uh, macro versus micro. Um, you know, you can invest in individual companies like Google, for example, or you can invest in a fund of tech companies. Um, that's really going to depend on your objective. Uh, I think, I think with you know with your perspective on technology and and you know kind of knowing how companies are run. Um, you know, even if it's your company, that puts you in a great position to, um, you know, to invest in, in tech. But the big thing, you know, I, I like to point out to people is diversification. Um, you know, there's a there there there's often a, a, a bias that that comes with uh, your specific sector. So, you know, if you work in manufacturing, you may be more akin to uh, invest in manufacturing companies, or you know, same thing with tech, obviously. And that can be a big risk. Uh, you know, we saw it this year, where you know tech has had some of the most volatility uh, in our economy since the Great Depression. So I think it is absolutely an essential portion of your portfolio. But you absolutely want to absolutely want to take into consideration how much of your portfolio consists um, consists of tech companies. 
And that volatility is beneficial. Uh, you know, if it's volatility facilitates growth. So, you know, we absolutely want that for uh, somebody with a long-term objective for their portfolio. But we also want to mitigate a lot of the downside um, by making sure we're not overly invested in any particular company or, or sector. That makes so much sense. Thank you for explaining that. So now I want an outline of situation for you and get your take on it. So you've been offered a role at a startup. In exchange for a lot of equity, they offer you a lower compensation package. What else do you need to ask? And do you think you should take it? That's a really, really good question. So I recommend that people who are in this position approach the offer like like they're performing due diligence for a buyout, um, which you're essentially doing. You know, you're you're taking compensation in the form of equity, and and you're becoming an owner rather than an employee. So I would shake them down, have them pull the curtain back, um, present you multiple years of financial records. If they're if they're a brand new startup, you know, under three years old, um, you know, get get the financial records from day one. Um, learn about its financing sources. You know, get very familiar with the VCs. Um, if there are any more rounds of, of <clears throat> financing coming up, if it's mostly friends and family financed, uh, that's a whole different dynamic. Uh, and what the board of directors looks like. You know, who will who will be calling the shots uh, from the top down? Um, you know, this segues into who else owns the company. Uh, are they using equity? as compensation for the entire workforce? Or are you um, a highly specialized individual? Are you coming in as CTO or something to that effect where you're gonna be among a small pool of owners and major decisions are going to you know, be made within a small group of people? Um, and do you trust those people? Do you trust the leadership to make prudent decisions with, um, with what is essentially your money, which is your equity? And, um, you know, who who else does the company owe money to? Did they take a loan to, to start the business? Do they have debts um, that that uh, you may be liable for if uh, if you know the company weren't have to, weren't didn't have enough cash flow to to cover those debts, or, or are you in a position where you would be obligated to put up your own money to to get the company through a turbulent period? Um, and then finally, what's their exit? You know, we want to, to get an understanding of, you know, what your liquidity event will look like and how much liquidity you have. Uh, you know, there's nothing to say that you may be in a, that you may be in a position um, down the road where, where you need to access the capital for whatever reason. And, you know, are you able to sell some of your shares to other shareholders or are you able to, you know, kind of set your sights on a timeline for when they're going to start to talk to a private, private equity firm to do a buyout? Um, I think those are, are really the big tenants um, that any any angel investor would look into, um, you know, or even a, a private equity firm, and that's kind of the perspective I encourage uh, professionals to take whenever they're in this position. Um, it's also important to consider how the equity grants are structured, because with the right strategies, you could have some short and long-term tax home runs. Uh, you could shelter a ton of income and a ton of gains. Uh, if if it's structured properly, and this is this is a, a relatively complicated procedure that should absolutely be undertaken by a CPA uh, or a tax attorney, um, but you know it puts you in a very advantageous position, uh, especially if the company takes off and you know you're looking at four or five x uh, returns. Um, and then finally, you know think about think about if you can afford to lose your shirt. You know if your equity goes to zero, if 
you shut the doors. Um, do you have the resources available to sustain yourself? Um, you know, can you keep your family uh, fed and the lights on until you find another opportunity? Um, you know, do you do you have a second stream of income? Do you have other resources that you could draw from? Um, you know, think about if you have your house in order, uh, because this is a big risk, but you know, again, it's a big reward. And I always generally encourage people to at least pursue the fact-finding stage um, of getting financial records and learning about the leadership. Um, but even if everything checks out, you have to look at your own circumstances and decide if you can afford that risk. I so appreciate you outlining that because I really do think this is a situation that a lot of developers can go through, especially if they're coming right out of a boot camp. So thank you for that, Aaron. How much does having a 401k at a job affect your retirement goals? So in the vast majority of circumstances, a 401k is everything. Uh, given a long enough timeline and high enough contributions, you could absolutely fully fund retirement in just a 401k. Um, after you leave a company, you would roll it into what's called an, I, an IRA or a Roth IRA um, and, and manage it privately. But this money is going to grow uh, either tax deferred or tax free um, for, for decades. And, you know, this, this compounding interest is going to put you in a position where you're going to be able to sustain your quality of life. Um, and if you think apples to apples, uh, uh, saving the maximum uh, per year, which is $19,500 in 2020 for people under 50, it's almost impossible to meet the same returns that you would make in a 401k with the same investments. And I say that because in a 401k, um, your money is either going in pre-tax, it's coming out before any tax is withdrawn from your paycheck and it's going right into your account, then that money is not taxed on any growth it makes. Um, it's only taxed when you pull it out. The other version uh, is a Roth 401k, which is amazing and should absolutely be um, should absolutely be taken advantage of in almost every circumstance. Um, this is a little bit different than a traditional 401k, where money the money you put into the account is taxed. Uh, it's 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 called post-tax income, but it's never taxed again. So whenever you make withdrawals 30, 40 years from now when you retire, you don't have to worry about paying tax on that money. And that is an incredible variable that's already solved for because we don't know what taxes are gonna look like. And even then, you know, if if you don't have to worry about um, you know, 20, 30% of your money uh, not showing up in your bank account um, when you take a distribution, that's a better quality of life you can sustain. And it makes everything more predictable. So Aaron, with several clients in tech in your portfolio, do you see any successful patterns that they make? So whether it's conscious or not, um, they all practice a key tenet of behavioral finance called robust satisfaction. And I don't know if this is unique to my clients or if it's indicative personality that uh, is attracted to, to tech, but they all seek positions that are good enough. Um, and they seem to take that same approach with their money. And you know, what this means is that they're not in a horse race. They're not, they don't seem to have this mindset of like, I have to have the best position at the best company. And when my company is no longer the best, I'm going to the best company. They, they don't do that. They, they aren't fixated on this superficial, this superficial mindset. Um, they are much more focused on what they want to do. So, you know, some clients want to, to have the flexibility to work from wherever they want 
or you know they just want to save up enough money to walk away um, you know they they aren't wasting their time in pursuit of the best and and I, I've always really admired that um, and you know what's so important about uh, about that mindset is that you know knowing your end goal whether it's a qualitative goal or a quantitative goal um, the paths they follow are really just a means to an end and the way this translates to their money is that they're not buying and selling constantly you know they're not they're not day trading they're not consumed with you know capitalizing upon uh, upon these undervalued companies and and you know for example making sure they bought tesla at the very at the very bottom of the market and then they're selling it at the peak they're not consumed with that their their perspective is is really focused on the long run and they um they benefit from that because they just put their head down they do their jobs and they let their their portfolios grow in the background um, in very very efficient asset allocations. Um, you know they've they've essentially bought the entire market. They've bought uh, a mix of, of funds that have them in every sector, in uh, every country, and it puts them in this incredible position that you know a decade or, or, or two from now they're you know they built up this incredible portfolio of um, of assets that they could live on um, that they could use to make investments in startups um, but you know it all comes back to this this incredibly mindful perspective um, of knowing what is good enough and really knowing what they want to do with their money and when they want to do it that is fantastic advice Aaron how can listeners follow you um, well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can follow WMS Inc. on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and feel free to sign up for our quarterly newsletter on our website, mywealthmgmt.com. Excellent. We will link all of that up in the show notes. Listeners, this is a call to action for you. I'm hoping the advice that Aaron shared today was really useful for you. And I'm actually considering bringing Aaron back and doing kind of a round table of listener questions. So please reach out to me on Twitter. I'll link that in the show notes, or you can email me based on the five by five link. But um, I'm hoping that we can have a lot of fun with this series around developer life skills. So thanks again, Aaron. It was really great having you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Brittany. This was wonderful. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.